Hello and welcome to the menu, Monaco's food and drink program. I am Marcus Hippi. This week we head to Ljubljana to find out what sausages of the future, yes you heard right, could look like. Butchers need to continue making all of those amazing sausages and they're incredible. The good part is that with the same machines and the same techniques and drying chambers and everything, the butcher can experiment. We will also meet Brazil's culinary superstar Manu Bufara, who is working to make the food from the southern parts of her country better known internationally. I really believe that the job of a chef is to show where they come from. And Brazil is huge. You can travel for each state and you're going to see different types of food. All that to the week's headlines and a dinner soundtrack recommendation ahead on this edition of The Menu here on Monaco 24. Design events aren't generally known for their food. That is, unless you count the canapes at the opening parties. But Ljubljana's Design Biennial has made a sausage one of the main exhibits at this year's edition, which runs until October. And not just any old banger, but the sausage of the future. Our man in Slovenia's capital, Gaideloni, went to take a bite. Welcome to the Ljubljana Design Biennial. We're here in the courtyard of Fujina Castle in Ljubljana. And this time round, the catering is actually part of the main exhibition. Because as I look in front of me, the caterers are providing everybody who comes forward with a bit of an appetite with two different types of sausage. But these aren't any old sausages. These are the sausages of the future. My name is Caroline Niebling. I'm from the Netherlands. I'm a food futurist or a product designer, a bit in the middle. Uh, I design sausages, amongst other things. And also for the exhibition here in Ljubljana, I have designed a Slovenian future sausage containing buckwheat and other things. This is the first time I have seen a sausage at a design biennial. I really wanted to do a project that meant something that could contribute to uh, all the changes that we need to make in the world and I just felt food was uh, one of the biggest fields to to work in where things need to change and then I found a sausage and I just fell in love with it like it's so old it's 5,000 years old and um, it has this development ever since which is incredible but still we are making sausages um, according to the same recipe as 5,000 years ago. It's incredible. And then I thought, okay, um, there's an existing industry and so there's also potential to help them evolve into a future where we need to eat less meat um, and more other ingredients like vegetables. And I have to say, like, it is a design project. You have to think about similar things if you do a chair or a lamp. You think about materials, shelf life... Uh, aesthetics, um, production, um, efficiency, all these type of things. People are very proud of their sausages around the world. They're going to say to you, what's wrong with our sausages? There is an opportunity to reduce meat consumption and I think that's unavoidable. Um, But it's exactly that, um, yeah, the delicate balance of uh, trying to have people try something new without uh, telling them uh, what to do or telling them off. So I really want to say, like, 
butchers need to continue making all of those amazing sausages and they're incredible. The good part is that with the same machines and the same techniques and drying chambers and everything, the butcher can experiment with more vegetarian options, but also half-half, or just increasing a little bit more and more and more other ingredients in there. So it's, it's really about an evolution from the one sausage to another. But it takes more than a designer to make a sausage. So to fine-tune the recipe and production, Caroline turned to the chef at one of Ljubljana's top restaurants and one of the city's best butchers. I am Igor Jagodic. I'm a chef, executive chef in the restaurant Strelets on Ljubljana Castle. Do you have any strong feelings about sausages? Yes, I have. Sausage is one of the Slovenian traditional dishes. Usually we make only meat sausages. That's why this was interesting for me, to make something new, to make something what we also can use later in our restaurants and uh, to do maybe some interesting stuff for our, for our guests, not only for this exhibition. And how well does the sausage, or as you've got two of them, you've got the vegetarian, yes. vegan one, and you've got the one which has got some meat in it, how well do they fit in to your philosophy at, at Strelitz? Perfect. It's great because we can play with the taste of the sausage. We can play a lot with the ingredients which we will add to the sausage. And it's uh, really nice that we can also change a little bit those sausage. this sausage, this recipe. Uh, depends on the season of the year. How closely aligned are you with Caroline's philosophy that sausages need to change? Yes, this idea, zero waste, changing the recipes so that the sausages are getting more uh, sustainable, this is great. And uh, traditional sausages is not, is not some, something what we would serve in a restaurant, but these sausages are definitely... Hi, my name is Marko Butalic, I'm from Slovenia, I'm a butcher, born and raised, my father was a butcher... We had fun. And of course the sausage that came out pretty, pretty, pretty good. And then the technique how to actually make the sausage, how to fill the casings and uh, make them into a portion. So that's, that was my input. Yeah. And that was your input as well into the vegan sausage as well as the yeah. non-vegan one? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Me and Igor, uh, we made both. Um, the vegan and the partly uh, meat one. Um, the biggest challenge is the vegan one because of the casings. The vegan casings need to be improved. They need to put more research into it and make them more flexible, stronger. They're pretty fragile considering how easy it is to use the pork casings. So if the casings would be stronger, I think the future would be easier could we get a couple over here, yeah. right, right now? And what, what, one of each we can try? Yeah. Which one should I try first? I think the vegan one. Okay. Hmm. There's a lot of texture. <laughs> yeah. What am I tasting in, in, in there? I mean, I'm, I'm maybe getting a sense of some mushroom in there. Mushroom. Yeah. Dried yurchki. Uh, I don't know how to pronounce it in English. There's buckwheat and a lot of herbs. Yeah. That's it. Keeps it fresh. Yeah. And let's go for the... Let's go for the meat now. Oh, I can really taste the buckwheat in this one. Yep. 
even even more so than the meat, actually. I'd say it's a surprising sausage, both of them, because from the outside, this looks like you're going to get something quite traditional, which cuts like a normal sausage. Yeah. And inside, it's a, it's a little cornucopia of ingredients, which, um, as you say, gives you quite a lot to figure out. We, we need to get used to new things, um, but on the end of the day, I'm certain this will give you less stomach ache or any kind of bad um, breath and um, feeling better from these sausages than the regular ones from meat. Like, and I'm a butcher and I can confirm that's really the case here. So the designer sausage passes the taste test and Caroline hopes this won't just be a limited edition. My ultimate goal is spark sausage movement from smaller butchers and I think this is still the the perfect time because there's all these um, people starting to pick up old artisanal techniques and um, make those products like where I live the amount of uh, young sausage makers uh, has doubled tripled in the last few years so I want to reach them and that means the sausage of the future could be on your plate sooner than you think It's the kind of design anyone can get their teeth into. For Monocle, in Ljubljana, I'm Guy Delaunay. Up next to the week's food and drink headlines, here is Monocle's Lillian Fawcett. Beer drinkers in Thailand could soon enjoy the type of craft beer industry seen in other parts of the world, as a bill liberalising brewing laws makes its way through Parliament. The bill would lift a ban on home brewing and make it easier for small and medium breweries to get a licence. Current laws mean beer makers need a production capacity of at least 100,000 litres per year. Several Dubai restaurants have been awarded Michelin stars, a first for the UAE and the Middle East. 11 restaurants received at least one of the coveted stars, while 14 gained a bib gourmand, recognition of good value for money. Michelin recommended many more top spots to eat in its first ever Guide to Dubai, published this week. A salmon farming company has bought its own Boeing 757 to fly fish across the Atlantic. Faroe Islands-based Frost faced criticism by environmental groups who say transporting salmon by air produces 17 times as much CO2 as by boat. But the firm said using their own aircraft to get fish to customers in New York would reduce their emissions by nearly half. Carlsberg will trial beer bottles made from recyclable fibre instead of glass. Customers in eight European countries, including the UK, Poland and France, will be part of the pilot. The bottles are made from wood fibre and a plant-based polymer, which Carlsberg says keeps their beer just as fizzy and tasty as glass. Thanks, Lillian. You are with The Menu on Monocle 24. Manu Bufara is one of the most celebrated female chefs in Latin America. She founded Manu Restaurant a decade ago in her hometown in southern Brazil, Curitiba. Since then, she has collected numerous awards and is set to open her second restaurant in New York later this year. And for this summer, she collaborated with London's Amazonico Restaurant for a four-week residency, offering a special nine-course tasting menu with ingredients from her native hometown 
Brown. Monaco's fellow Brazilian Fernando Augusto Pacheco spoke with Manu a bit earlier. So we did, before opening the restaurant, a lot of uh, research around the surrounding, where I come from, the story. And so today we work a lot of small producers, uh, fisher guys, and we try to keep all the ingredients around, like uh, close by to us. And, well, I really believe food can change a nation, can change the, the diets of a nation and can change people. So that's one of the goals that we develop, how we develop our, our tasting menu during the seasons. Well, Manu, it opened in 2011. Uh, it's going to be 12 years, the next. It's a really small. It's five tables. We just work on Wednesday through Saturday. We really believe in uh Sustainability, but not just sustainability in the florist or in the garden, but sustainability for people, for the working people who works in the kitchen. So that's why we change the hours. We close three days in a week. When we work in the kitchen, it doesn't have to be stressful because when you cook, you have to use your mind, your hands, and I think you pass everything that you feel to the cooking. Well, that's kind of uh, the idea of Manu and the, the focus that we have. That's beautiful because, and I like what you said about that, you know, you have to work your mind. It needs to be a relaxing environment because people have this image that a restaurant needs to be stressed. That, you know, everything needs to be quite panicky in a way, right? And, and I think your philosophy is completely think, against that. I think when you serve food, you're not just serving food, but you're serving an experience. Mm-hmm. So when you're serving an experience, when people sit in your table, I think they need to get into you. When they come to Manu, they are buying my mind, my the experience that I'm serving to them. So I think this is something that we really, really believe. And I think that's all the chefs. doesn't matter if you cook a burger or if you, you know, I have a other restaurant in Brazil. It's just a sandwich restaurant. And then we do the same, the same vibe, because I, I really believe that you're not just cooking. You're not just throwing the food in the pot and, you know, serving. I think everything has a movement and everything has a life. My grandma always tell to me, you got a fish in your hands, don't kill twice. You know, you cannot make a wrong dish with them because he already killed for you to cook them. It's the same as the vegetables. So I think when you take broccoli or a carrot from the garden, you need to understand how much water they use to produce that vegetable and how important it is in your hands. Mm. So be careful when you cook, uh, make right, you know. So that's my relationship with food and with products. I want to talk to you about the topic of Brazilian food with you. And that's why I think it's very good that you're here in London, in a way promoting your work, but I think promoting the nation as well in some ways, because I think there's still a misconception that Brazilian food is just meat. But I think it's so much more than that. And I think it would be good if our country and chefs like you could start working on that in the same way as the Mexican, perhaps Peruvian cuisine did, right? My job, I really believe that the job of a chef is to show where they come from, uh, the environment. And Brazil is huge. Uh, you can travel for each state and you're going to see different types of food. I'm coming from South Brazil and South Brazil is a lot of seafood, a lot of fish. So we eat barbecues, of course, uh, all over Brazil we have meat, but we have a lot of seafood. We have one of the amazing oysters that's in the world. It's one of the best. We have a great tuna. We produce the botarga that we export to Japan and to USA, to New York. So I really believe that's our job as a chef, teaching people what we eat and where we came from. 
So, yeah, not just me, but I think all the chefs, when they travel, they bring foods on a backpack, <laughs> on a know, suitcase. I didn't know about the Botarga. See, yeah. you're, you're teaching me as well. <laughs> you know, that, that's, that's really good to know. Tell us about this project you're doing with the restaurant Amazonico here in London, which I believe for four weeks they will have some of your dishes, which is it something that you would find in your restaurant, Manu, or you decided to kind of create new ones for this so project? So the dishes, of course, uh, they do like 500 covers per day. Manu is a restaurant that we do fine dining and we do like tasting menu. So we try to create some dishes that uh, it's a Brazilian flavor. It's a Brazilian comfort food. It's a, everyone can eat and introducing a little of Brazil. And so we pick plates and flavors from all of the states so people can understand a little bit how we work with vegetables, seafood, how we use coconut, how we use Brazilian nut milk, how we can use with fish, with lobster. So it's kind of like a, a remix of this. They are serving a la carte or tasting during these uh, next four weeks. But uh, we are super happy to bring these dishes to them. And it's putting some more Brazilian on the menu of Amazonico. And even in Brazil, I know you have experience there with your restaurant, Manu. Do you feel the restaurant scene is changing there as well? Even in a city like Curitiba, because, you know, people talk Sao Paulo, Rio, which are perhaps bigger cities. But do you think, how do you see the Brazilian food scene at the moment? Do you see with kind of a positive outlook? I think all the cuisine is changing after the COVID. All the chefs change a lot. And the restaurant hours, they stress jobs. A lot of people left away. They left. They don't want to work in the restaurant business anymore. I think we need to change. The restaurant business needs to change a little bit. We need to thinking about we are human beings. Mm. So we are stressed. We have time. And food needs the time. And we need to think with our heads for the future. And I think not just in Brazil, but all the food will change. And I think us as a client, I'm a client too, as you are, we're looking for like healthy food. We want to eat better. We want to take care of our body, our mind, our healthy. So I think this is kind of like for gastronomy, for the whole world, for the future. And Brazil is one of that. We have a lot of chefs now. And I'm super happy these chefs can, you know, go travel, cooking in another place. I think you can share ideas. You can know better. I always say... Like for creativity is not something that you're born with. You can develop this. And how you develop this? Traveling, knowing people, hurting people. You have two ears and one mouth. So hear more and talk less. Exactly. Give us an example of a dish. I mean, you don't need to go through the whole menu that will be at Amazon. Something that might be interesting for our listeners. We have two starters, two appetizers that you can share. One, it's a hamachi. It's a fish. It's a little bit fatty fish. We serve raw. With fermented Brazilian nut milk. So nice. it's a cashew milk fermented for a couple of days and then put a little bit of uh, rice vinegar, serve with burnt cashew, some citrus, uh, lemon, orange, grapefruit on the top. And the other one, we have a lobster, like a poche lobster, served with vinaigrette from Napo vinaigrette. That's the high season for you guys. That's why I choose it. And it's a really good apple you guys have here. And then we are serving with pickle mushrooms and the lobster on the top. And the other dish that we have, it's a really traditional Brazilian dish. I did this bobo, the version of bobo, mm. with pumpkin. That's his high season here too. So we use this, we call it Brazil Japanese pumpkin. So it's the same, but we cook the pumpkin with a lot of spices, a lot of flavors, 
And then we put the shrimp and serve with coconut rice, farofa, and banana vinaigrette. Always the farofa, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, that's something that you need in the dish. Yeah. And it's interesting because I think a lot of people know things about Sao Paulo and Rio, but I like the fact that you're from Curitiba as well, because Brazil has a lot of those interesting centers, kind of those mid-sized towns as well. So I think if someone is planning a trip to Brazil, they should definitely go and visit Manu in Curitiba, uh, right? Of course. I love Northwest Brazil, but I think... Uh, South Brazil, it's really beautiful. Yeah. And uh, we have a big colony of uh, Germany and Italian people and Lebanese, even Japanese. And then the, the beaches that you have there, Florianópolis and Santa Catarina, it's another state, but it's like three hours from us. It's a beautiful place. It's an incredible place. Of course, it's cold. We call Curitiba as the little London because it's raining. I have raining to say, it, it is cold. The time yeah. I went there is beautiful, but it's, it's cold. It's beautiful, but uh, I think Curitiba has the four. You know, we have the spring, we have the autumn, we have uh, winter time, and then we have summer. It's not like a, it's a mess up. So mm. it's a city that you can see the four seasons. And Manu, what can you tell us? I don't know if you can reveal us about your future projects. Is there a restaurant coming out in New York sometime soon? Yeah, so we That's have exciting. A, uh, we have a place in New York uh, from next year. Yeah, I'm super excited. Uh, it's called Lela. So Manu is in Brazil, Ella in New York. So Manuela. Oh, we are super happy with this project. It's a different type of cuisine. Uh, it's still fine dining, but it's more like sharing. So people can order a dish, but you can go by yourself and still order three or four dishes. The size doesn't change. And we were working with uh, natural wines and beers. Uh, yeah, it's different, but it's a new project. It's always exciting. That was Manu Bufara, and if you would like to try her tasting menu at London's Amazonica restaurant, it is available till the 3rd of July. Or head to Curitiba to her restaurant Manu, or alternatively, wait until she opens her new restaurant in New York later this year. Fernando joins me in the studio now for a bit more on Brazilian cuisine. Fernando, Manu hails from the southern parts of Brazil. I know you went for dinner to her restaurant. How familiar was the food she was offering to you? Well, we had a lovely dinner, right, Marcus? I think what's interesting that Brazil is such a big country that it's very hard to define what's Brazilian cuisine. And I find it interesting that she's from Curitiba, which is outside the main centers of Sao Paulo and Rio. And she works with local ingredients. There was interesting to see from her that she uses a lot of seafood, you know, kind of shrimp, lobster, amazing fish. And that's what people sometimes forget about Brazil. Because I think if you close your eyes and you think about Brazilian food, you will think about the famous rodizios, which is the steakhouses, right? Lovely. We do have that. But we do have an amazing coast, an amazing seafood as well. And I think people should discover more. So I'm very proud as a fellow Brazilian of Manu. And, and I love the fact that she's coming to London, Tomazonico, which is quite a prominent uh, restaurant here in the city. And she's opening a new restaurant in New York as well, because Brazilian food needs that. I think we need the same movement that helped Mexican and Peruvian cuisine to become famous worldwide. What do you think differentiates Brazil from those other countries you mentioned, like Mexico and Peru? Why is Brazilian food not that well-known internationally? It's a good question. I wonder, of course, we have a big internal market, so perhaps we never really thought about that that much. And, and I know the Peruvian and the Mexican, they have all those spices that some of people from outside those countries might consider exotic and interesting. And I think Brazilian food has the inspiration from Europe, from Africa, from Asia. It's a mix. It might actually look familiar to many. So perhaps that's the reason. But 
I think inside Brazil, there are amazing chefs, not only Manu, but Alexa Tala, that he uses ingredients from the Amazon, ingredients that even some Brazilians don't know, actually, some fruits that I am not familiar with. So we have a lot of potential. And you know what, Marcus? Our food, I mean, against expectations, it's kind of healthy, actually, if you think about it. There's snacks called tapioca, which is made of kind of manioc flour. It's a super healthy and lovely thing to have for breakfast. So we definitely should play this for us because I think people are still a bit confused about what Brazilian food is. Sometimes even I am confused. Now, Fernando, what are your hot tips when it comes to people who may not be that familiar with Brazilian cuisine? What should they try? What do you think? Which aspects of Brazilian food culture deserve more international recognition? Well, as I said, the seafood is a great aspect. But, you know, I come from Sao Paulo. I think there's such a fantastic food scene. I mentioned Alex Atala, but perhaps he's a bit quite famous already. Maybe he doesn't need a mention here. But there are restaurants like A Casa do Porco, which is the house of pork. Marcus, it's one of the best restaurants I've ever been in my life. They make pork in such interesting ways. Even pork with guava. Have you ever tried that? I mean... Me neither. Well, I tried at the restaurant. That's the only place. I thought it was such a fantastic combination. And I would definitely recommend people to go. But I like the simple pleasures of Brazilian cuisine. I mean, there are the new stuff, the new fruits, new everything. But even the Brazilian staples like rice, beans and steak. I mean, sometimes you can't go wrong with that as well. But there are a lot of interesting things happening in Brazil at the moment. Tell me, what kind of food did you grow up with? Well, rice, beans and steak and salad. <laughs> That's literally what I grew up with. And I miss it. I used to go for lunch. To, so instead of uh, grabbing a sandwich, that's kind of, a, for me, is a foreign concept, you know, to have a sandwich for lunch. I used to go, you know, to a proper restaurant and literally have that. But of course, Sao Paulo is home of the best Lebanese and Japanese and Italian food in the world. Well, that's quite a grand statement, but I do believe that. So I, I ate all of those cuisines because Brazil is all about the mixture as well. We mix things. So some Japanese might not like that, but it might look different perhaps for a Japanese person going to Brazil and trying Japanese food, but I still love it. What do you expect from the future, Fernando? Do you think Brazilian culinary culture will gain more ground overseas? I see a bright future because, come on, we are a big country with delicious food. I really want to see it. And it is happening, Marcus. Look at Manu. She's opening a restaurant in New York, which is such an important city. Talking about New York, I was there earlier this year, the new Fazano restaurant. Fazano is a very Italian-Brazilian restaurant. I mean, one of the best, again, that I've ever eaten. Incredible. It's doing so well in New York. It's been one of the biggest launches of the year so far. Now, Fernando, finally, the big question. What do you prepare at home? Well, Is uh, it rice and beans? It's rice and beans and steak. I'm sorry. I mean, I am a little bit boring and a terrible cook as well. But thankfully, I have a partner. He absolutely loves to cook Brazilian food. I mean, I have the best of both worlds. Fernando, can you mention one recipe people should try at home? I am a man that likes simple flavors in life. People should try pão de queijo, our cheese bread. It is a delicious kind of snack, perhaps the best in the world. And in the morning, when it's warm, you just open and you add a slice of butter. It's amazing. You come up with some good recipes and also with some good song recommendations every now and then. And actually, I have to reveal, Fernando, that this week's dinner soundtrack recommendation is picked by you. Do you want to introduce the artist to us? Of course. It's Gal Costa, my favorite Brazilian singer. And she's singing about 
a Brazilian dish. You were asking me about a dish. This is a typical dish from the northeast of Brazil. It's called vatapá. That's the name of the song as well, vatapá. What is vatapá? So vatapá is kind of a creamy Brazilian shrimp stew, which is very popular in the northeast of Brazil. I think it's delicious. And Gal Costa is from Bahia, the state of vatapá. It's a great song as well. Amazing. Thank you very much, Fernando. And that's all for this edition of The Menu. Remember that we are back with a new episode again on Friday at 2000 London time. That's at midday if you're listening in Los Angeles. Meanwhile, do check out our menu spin-off show, Food Neighborhoods, for great recipes. And obviously you will also find many reports on great hospitality from the brand new edition of Monocle magazine. This show was edited and mixed by David Stevens and I am Marcus Hippie. And as we already discussed with Fernando this week, Dinner soundtrack recommendation is from Brazil. Here is Gala Costa with Vatapa. Thanks for listening. Não <laughs> para